So I want to start uh, with a question. What uh, makes you restless? What makes you restless? Or if you were to think of being at rest, what robs you from being at rest? We've just come through the Christmas week, and maybe that alone has uh, caused you to be restless. I remember as a child um, not being able to sleep on Christmas Eve uh, with all the excitement and, t- and anticipation of what Christmas morning might be. Uh, I literally would end up staying up all night long. Uh, one year, I remember being about eight or nine years old, and I used to play with G.I. Joe action figures, and, and I had asked for the Sky Striker, which was the fighter plane that Ace, the pilot, flew, and that was what I was asking Santa to bring that year was the Sky Striker plane. And, And so I went to bed at night and just was like shaking with anticipation and excitement that I might be able to open up this gift in the morning and uh, show all my friends. And, uh, and I was restless as, as a kid, and, uh, which is really interesting because generally I'm a pretty calm, easygoing guy. And yeah, some of you are nodding your heads if you know me at all. I don't really get that excited. And uh, to be able to like, you know, be up all night Christmas Eve was just really odd. Uh, and my parents kind of caught on year after year. They said, you know what, take a bunch of puzzles and books and have them in your room because we don't want to be disturbed till at least 7 o'clock in the morning, so make sure you've got some stuff to keep you busy while you're not sleeping all night. So maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe even still you get excited on Christmas Eve and can't sleep, and there's this sense of restlessness, right? And that's kind of a positive restlessness, this excitement and anticipation. But sometimes our, our rest can be robbed from the negative side of life. And as I sort of think back to growing up and becoming a teenager, uh, some of what made me restless as a, as, a, as a teen was just the whole idea of fitting in. And we moved around a bit as a family, and every time we moved to a new city and I had to go to a new school, there was this angst inside of me about going to school and who would I sit with at lunch and who was going to be my new group of friends. Would I make any friends? And just this restlessness as a teen, you know, wanting to fit in. And then as you grow up into young adulthood and maybe the restlessness of some of the bigger decisions of life, you know, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And maybe that sort of hangs over your head. And what am I going to do after high school? Should I work? Should I go to school? Should I pay for more school? How much school should I pay for? How much is it going to cost to pay for all of this school? And you start to feel a little bit of unrest and angst and worry and burden And then you kind of graduate into adulthood and and some of the responsibilities of life and you start having kids and and, uh, just, you know, the things sort of pile up and and there's lots of reasons to be restless. I'm not trying to paint a total doom and gloom, don't worry. There's some good news coming at some point this morning, but maybe you can just relate to this little bit of, you know, there's this part of me that's just not at rest, And some of what Mark prayed for earlier, you know, maybe that's some of it, the job concerns and financial concerns or health concerns. I'm 45 years old now and I'm realizing that my body's not what it was 20 years ago and things are breaking down, right? And it's only going to get worse. No, um, hopefully not. Why are you laughing? I don't know. Do I look? Do I need to go like dress up a little bit better or something? I don't know. But, you know, health, finances, relationships, family, right? There's lots of things. Bills, responsibilities, right? 
Maybe we'd want to go back to being that eight-year-old looking for the Sky Striker fighter plane on Christmas morning and life would be so much better. I don't know, maybe you can relate to some of that. And if you can't, there's probably been a time in your life where you could relate to some of that. And as we sang that song, it is well with my soul. And the author of that song, I could just imagine what he was going through, the, the restlessness of losing his children, the angst, the burden, the weight. And he wrestled with God with that to the point where he was able to say it as well. And that's where I'm hoping we'll get this morning is to a, a, a place of saying it is well with our soul. So right now, what, what makes you restless or what keeps you up at night? Or if you're like me, you wake up sometimes in the night and then your mind starts going and you can't get back to sleep, right? And just the anxieties of life. What keeps you up at night? We're approaching New Year's, and often at New Year's we're encouraged, you know, sort of society encourages us to sort of take stock of the year that's passed and look ahead, which is not a bad thing to do. That's kind of the spiritual life. You know, when we talk about confession and, and, uh, and repentance and absolution and forgiveness of sins, it's that pattern of sort of evaluating our life and where we're at, what could change, you know, looking to Jesus to make a difference and, and, and moving forward with him receiving all that he has in mind for us. And so at New Year's, it's an opportunity to kind of look at the year that's passed. And, and as you look at the year 2019 and sort of evaluate, maybe there was times or seasons or points in the year where you would say, you know what, I was really restless in that moment or that season. I felt really burdened and, and weighed down, weary, exhausted maybe. And I don't want that to continue in 2020. And so as we look at the year to come, I think this morning's message is a a good invitation to embrace all that Jesus has for us, to be able to move out of that place of restlessness, that place of weary and and burden and exhaustion, and to move forward with him in the fullness of life and rest that he has in mind for us. And so we come to our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And you might think, well, how did we choose this random passage for this morning? Uh, We're finishing off this series, getting a handle on the Messiah. And no, I'm not going to sing for you, because I don't even know the song that this comes from. But... uh, What was it again? His yoke is easy. Is that the song, Tim? Yes? Okay. His yoke is easy. Tim will sing it for you later if you want to hear how the song goes. But basically, out of that song, this passage uh, is what it's based on. And so Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. And this is Jesus speaking. And he's speaking to a crowd of people or a group of people. And there's a variety of people in this crowd. There's his disciples, his followers who are with him. There's kind of your everyday, ordinary, common folk people here with him. And there's some religious leaders that would be hearing what Jesus is talking about here as well. And this is what he says. I'm reading from the New International Version if you're following along. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, or I'll add the word restless, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's just pause, and let's invite Jesus to speak to us from his word this morning. So Jesus, we come, and as we open your word, 
we invite you to speak. Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to hear what you have in mind for us this morning? May it not be what I'm saying particularly. Jesus, we want you to speak. And so would you help us to filter all the voices in our heads and to hear your voice alone this morning, to hear you speak to our hearts and the restlessness of our hearts. Help us to receive your invitation to come to you and to find rest in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this passage really is an invitation from Jesus. As I rattled off all those different possibilities of why you might feel restless this morning, and if you related to any of them, or maybe you inserted your own reason in there, Jesus is inviting you to come to him and to find rest. He says in verse 28, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. It's an invitation. Are you feeling restless? Are you feeling weary? Are you feeling burdened? Come to me, and the promise is, I will give you rest. And so my hope this morning as we kind of unpack this a bit is that we would get a taste of what that rest might be for us. So I want to encourage you to come to Jesus this morning. He uses an image in this passage that I think we need to unpack to kind of make sense of what he's talking about, and it's this idea of a yoke. I love yokes every morning. I have yokes for breakfast. And yeah, I know. He's not talking about that, obviously. But when he uses the word yoke, we might not really mean what he, you know, we might not understand what he really means because we don't use this language really in our day and age. And so I want to ask a question. What yoke is upon you? And in asking that question, I'm going to try to define what yoke meant to Jesus' original audience here as he's speaking. Because when he invites them to take on his yoke, that's a really weird invitation for him to give to the people because they might not associate a yoke as being a positive thing. And so he's kind of twisting their experience, their understanding of what a yoke is, and he's turning it uh, in, a, in a different way and inviting them to receive a different kind of yoke. And so I want to ask the question, what yoke is upon you? And, and there's kind of three possibilities of what Jesus' original audience might understand a yoke to be. And as you consider these things, I'm going to try to bring them into our day and age, what would be the application for today? And maybe consider, are any of these yokes upon you? And are any of these yokes making you feel restless or weary or burdened? Are any of these yokes weighing you down? Can you relate to any of these? So the first one that might come to mind and probably the most obvious one in this moment is what I'm calling the yoke of religion or it would be the yoke of the law. And the yoke of religion or the yoke of the law was meant to be a positive thing for God's people, for the Jews. For the Israelites, if you were a good Jewish person, you would take on the yoke of the law, which is God's covenant with his people. The problem is what started out as a positive got turned into a negative when the religious leaders and the Pharisees kind of got their way uh, with this idea of the yoke of the law, and they began adding things to the law. And so they began sort of 
loading up burdens on God's people by coming up with all these lists of rules and regulations and requirements for what it meant to be a good Jewish follower of God. And so it really became a heavy yoke. What was meant to be a way of life for God's people became um, an exercise in measuring people's spirituality by how well they performed spiritually or how well they behaved spiritually or how good of a religious person they were. And so it became a very outward, external pressure to conform to a religious way of life. And when Jesus uses the language, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, this idea of the yoke of the law or the yoke of religion, that's what the people might have been feeling for themselves, burdened by the weight of the law, the rules and the regulations that the religious leaders had put over them. So let's give you an example. If you turn to chapter 12, if you've got your Bible open, I'll just read from there because it gives a living example of this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. They were hungry. They were picking grains to eat. It was unlawful to pick grains, you know, to to feed themselves. What is going on here? So Jesus answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." So there's a few things going on here. Jesus is saying, I'm greater than the law. I'm greater than the Sabbath, and you guys haven't caught on to that. But you're you're nitpicking on the rules and regulations that you've come up with about the Sabbath. And then it goes on, verse 9. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So just imagine a man coming into our facility with a a shriveled hand in need of healing. And the Pharisees are saying, the rules and regulations would say, don't do anything about this this man. Don't do anything for this man. Don't, Don't provide healing that you can provide. And Jesus says, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he healed him. The Pharisees were more concerned about right and wrong, rules and regulations, following the letter of the law. Jesus was more concerned about the heart of the law. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That kind of overrides what you guys are suggesting is the law. And so this yoke of the law or this yoke of religion that was creating heavy burdens for the people, it was hard for the people to measure up. It was hard to fulfill all of the rules and regulations that the religious leaders had put over them. 
And this yoke of religion would lead to this idea of spiritual elitism or spiritual competition, trying to be better than somebody else spiritually. It would lead to having the look of having it all together on the outside, but on the inside, maybe your heart and your soul is dying. Somebody want to answer that? <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. Um, Sorry, I just got really distracted there. Um, and so this yoke of religion becomes a burden because it's about outward spiritual performance and not about matters of the heart. And so in our day and age, what might this look like? Well, you might be able to leap to some parallels right off the bat, but how often do we sort of look at one another and maybe judge each other spiritually by what we see on the outside? You know, an example might be while we're singing songs of worship, you know, do you have your hands up or down in their pockets? You know, where are they? Is that any kind of measure of your spirituality? Some of us might think it is. I don't know. There's lots of ways that this might apply to our lives and this idea of having spiritual competition or elitism or judging one another based on what we see on the outside only when what Jesus is trying to get at is matters of the heart. The yoke of religion is about a performance-based spirituality. It's about outward conformity. Jesus' way is about inner transformation and a work of the heart. So that's one way that the people might have been hearing this idea of the yoke that Jesus is talking about. Another image that might come to mind for them is what I would call the yoke of labor or the yoke of work. And a yoke, very literally, was a, a wooden beam that would be placed across, uh, they might be thinking of images of ox. Is it a team of oxen? Is that how you would say it? Oxen? So a pair or a team of oxen would have a, a wooden beam saddled across their shoulders and they would bind them together and attached to that wooden beam or that yoke would be a plow behind them. And the ox would pull the plow together. The yoke attaching them, attached to the plow, they would pull this plow and they would plow the fields. Kind of mundane work, back and forth across the field. And that might be the image that would be stirred up in people's minds when Jesus talks about a yoke, is this idea of heavy labor, manual labor, maybe work that is a drudgery, work that is never ending. And they might be thinking of their own sort of labor, their own work, and these feelings of just heavy burdens and, and weariness. You know, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary or even exhausted might be a better way to say that. And so very quickly, we could jump to our day and age. How often does the yoke of labor weigh itself down on us? And we start to feel like work is a drudgery or work is painful or work is a curse. That yoke might create feelings of weariness and burden and exhaustion. And some of us can maybe relate to that. Whether it's work in the home or at the office or in the, uh, the work space, whatever that is, whether that's work at school as a student, whether that's work in the church, our work might feel like a yoke, a heavy yoke upon us. And so maybe you can relate to that. And the last image I'll just throw out there as a possible image that would be stirring up in the minds of the people is this idea of a yoke of slavery or a yoke of oppression or a yoke of bondage. 
And what would be going through the minds of Jesus' listeners is when he talks about a yoke, they might actually think of foreign nations that came in and ex exercised their power and rule and their dominance over Israel, over God's people. And so one of the, the most probably uh, memorable examples would be the Egyptians and how God's people, the Israelites, were, were living under the shadow of the Egyptian reign and rule, and they were oppressing them. They were actually forcing them into hard labor, slave labor. Exodus chapter 1 talks about 400 years of slavery. God's people were under the, the rule and reign of the Egyptians. And if it wasn't the Egyptians, you could read through the Old Testament, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, all these superpowers of the ancient world that exercised their power and dominance over God's people, and God's people were slaves to them at times. So a modern-day parallel might just be the reality that as followers of Jesus, we are a part of his kingdom, but we live in the kingdoms of this world. We live in a country called Canada, which is not the kingdom of God necessarily. It's a kingdom that we live in, uh, North America or the world at large, there's all kinds of different political superpowers, national superpowers, whatever they might be. There's influences of the world. And beyond just the political, there's the spiritual reality that we are part of the kingdom of light. And if you're not in the kingdom of light, you're a part of the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness exists all around us and has its power trying to influence us. And so we live as slaves to the ways of the world sometimes. How often do you see a commercial or hear a commercial or an ad or something and it, it catches you and you think, I need to go respond to that message that I've just heard? Or maybe it's, you know, groups of people who come together with a message that they're trying to influence us with. And we're bombarded with different influences and messages in our society, our culture, our world at large. And we can become slaves to the ways of the world, which might not necessarily be the ways of Jesus. So there's external slavery. There's also internal slavery. As we read through the New Testament, the idea that we are all slaves to sin. Romans talks about us all... Um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we all wrestle with our sinful nature, which really is our selfish ambition, our, our own internal desires and the things that we want because we want them. And so we go after the things that we think will make us happy because at the root of it, we're self-centered people. And so we become slaves to the internal reality of sin that resides in us and the consequences of sin, sickness, and death, and things like that. So there's the yoke of religion, the yoke of labor, the yoke of slavery, and as you consider these different yokes, maybe there's aspects of each of these that you might relate to and say, you know what? I do find myself weary, burdened, weighed down by maybe the religious pressures or the work pressures, or the pressures of the world in which I live and feeling like I have to keep up with what everybody else is doing, or the pressure from within me that's making me do things that I know I don't want to do, but for some reason I'm drawn to these things, these behaviors, these addictions, these choices, whatever they might be. And they cause us to feel restless, burdened, weighed down. 
That's the bad news. Let's get to some good stuff. So Jesus invites us to take his yoke upon us. Take the yoke of Jesus. What is he getting at? When he uses the word yoke, if this is what's being stirred up in the minds of people, what is Jesus trying to say by saying that his yoke is different? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. What is he getting at? So I'll give you three words to kind of counter the different yokes that we've just walked through. So for the yoke of religion, Jesus is offering us instead relationship. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't come to a religion. Don't come to a church even. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to the person of Jesus It's an invitation to himself. And through the power of Jesus, it's an invitation to inner transformation. We talked earlier about how Jesus is concerned about the things of the heart. He's not so concerned about the outer, external, sort of religious pressures that might be put upon us to try to behave a certain way. Not that he doesn't care about that stuff, but what's going to lead us to living those kinds of lives is a transformation from the inside out. And so he's inviting us to relationship with him where he wants to change us. He wants to transform us so that it's not about us trying harder or others forcing us to behave a certain way. It's about him changing us from the inside out. And if you look at the person of Jesus, he says in verse 29, I am gentle and humble in heart, which is a stark opposition to the religious leaders of this day who were very Uh, self-centered and uh, self-righteous and prideful and arrogant. And Jesus is saying, I'm gentle and humble in heart. Come to me because I actually care about you. I love you. I'm gentle. I'm humble. I have compassion for you and what you're going through. And these heavy burdens that have been loaded up on you, I care about all of what you're bearing right now. And so the invitation is to come to Jesus, come to him and receive relationship, not religion. The other reality here is this idea that we are not alone in life. If Jesus is calling us to relationship with him, and if you think of that image of the beam across the oxen, we are yoked with Jesus. We are paired with him. And whatever we go through in life, he's actually going through it with us. And we are not alone. A second word that I'll give uh, is this idea of mission. The yoke of Jesus is about mission. It's an invitation to meaningful labor. Instead of work feeling meaningless or feeling like a drudgery or all of the exhaustion that comes from trying harder and laboring longer, Jesus is inviting us to meaningful, purposeful work, whatever that work might be, whether it's at home, whether it's in a field somewhere, whether it's in a school, whether it's on your street, whether it's in a church, whatever that work is, he's inviting us to meaningful work. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are to work as unto the Lord. And viewing our work that way might change our perspective enough to feel like we're 
We're not working for no reason. We're actually working for Jesus. And we're actually working with Jesus. Again, you go back to that image of the yoke, the beam across the oxen. If we are yoked with Jesus and paired with him, whatever it is that our hand is doing, whatever work we find ourselves doing, he's doing it with us. We're actually on mission with Jesus in whatever location he's placed us. Whatever workplace we find ourselves in, he's the one plowing with us. And so we're not doing it by ourselves. We're actually doing it with him. And if we're really being honest, he's doing the heavy lifting. We're just kind of following his lead. He's actually pulling us along in whatever the work is that we find ourselves doing. So my encouragement, if you're feeling the yoke of labor as a heavy yoke upon you, start to envision yourself being yoked with Jesus in your work. Start to envision yourself working as unto the Lord and not to your boss or not to the bottom line or not to whoever it is that you feel like you're working for. Work with Jesus and work for him and realize that he's placed you exactly where you are according to his plan and his purpose. And again, going back to something Mark shared earlier, if you've received the gift of Jesus in your life, we're meant to share that. And that's part of the mission of Jesus. Wherever we find ourselves at work, share Jesus with the people that you're with. Live Jesus in front of them. Plow with Jesus and let him take the lead in where he's directing your path, where he's directing your work, who he's directing you to, the coworker that you might need to have a conversation with or the person that you might need to pray for, whatever that might be. You are on mission with Jesus. So join him in his mission. And the last word as we talk about these yokes, the yoke of Jesus, what does that mean? Another word I would throw out there would be Freedom. Freedom from slavery. If the image of slavery is what was going on in the minds of people, Jesus invites us to experience freedom, release. We are no longer held captive to the ways of the world, the powers of the kingdom of darkness. We belong to Jesus and he set us free. We don't need to give in. We don't need to conform. Romans 12 says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus wants to set you free from the ways of the world and invite you to live fully in his kingdom according to his plans and his purposes. Luke 4, verse 18 to 19, when Jesus was sort of introducing himself to the people in a synagogue on a certain day, he quoted from Isaiah, He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to set us free from whatever slavery we find ourselves in, whether it's slavery to a person, slavery to a people group, slavery to a philosophy of the world, or slaves to ourselves and the sin that resides in us. Jesus wants to set you free. We are no longer bound by those things. We're no longer weighed down by the weight of slavery. Jesus invites us to find freedom in him. Some of you are here this morning in need of rest. And I'm not talking about a better sleep. That might be part of it. 
but there's a rest for your soul that you need. And some of you have been chasing after things that are not providing rest. Some of you are being really busy in the religious activity of the yoke of religion, trying to keep score of yourself and the people around you, and the weight of all of that is not providing rest for your soul. Some of you are so busy at work, just working for work's sake, meaningless, purposeless work, and at the end of the day, you're tired and exhausted, not because you've, you have worked hard, but maybe working for the wrong reasons. And so you're not feeling rested because Jesus is maybe not with you in your work, and you need to invite him into that. Some of you are just chasing the ways of the world, the philosophies of the world, and the things that the world holds as important, and you're not finding rest in that because Jesus is not there. And some of you are feeling trapped inside of yourself and the choices and the decisions and the habits that you are stuck in, and Jesus wants to set you free from that. He wants to give you rest. St. Augustine is a famous Christian thinker. From his confessions, he made this statement, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Let me read Jesus' words again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is inviting us into relationship with him. Would you come to him? Jesus is inviting us to join him on mission. Will you join with him? And Jesus is inviting us to experience freedom from whatever it is that's holding us captive, that's holding us as slaves. He wants to set us free so that we can be fully sold out to him. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I think this idea of rest in Jesus really is about the fullness of life that he desires for us to have. Would you come to him this morning to find rest and life? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you are speaking to us this morning. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak. We invite you to search our hearts to see where where we're really at and the things that maybe cause us to feel weary or burdened or weighed down, to feel exhausted or restless. Help us to be able to put a finger on those things and to to see them for what they are, to name them even, and to leave them here this morning, to invite you into those places that we might find rest in you and the fullness of life that you have in mind for us. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to, to keep speaking to us on these things, we pray. Amen.